welcome to Fan Bites. You love to see it. A podcast styled after a delightful neighborhood video store where a pair of wildly charismatic co-hosts and guests rewatch old-ish movies and give it fresh takes. But like in a fun way. Because we're not like every movie rewatch podcast. We're a cool movie rewatch podcast. Every month we pick a theme. Every week we watch a movie and then we decide where it belongs in our video store. If it's got a legitimate lion heart and therefore deserves to ascend to the hard target that is our staff pick shelf, if it did not retreat nor surrender but also did not blow us away and therefore earns a spot in our totally cool middle aisle, or if it got straight up derailed and therefore it gets sent straight to our dreary dumpster where there's always an acquaintance from high school talking about how she became her own boss by selling overpriced, mildly mold-infested makeup and how now for a modest fee of $5,000, you lucky bitch can do it too. Hashtag girl boss. Working the counter today, we have yours truly, Fernanda, Steven Seagal, your 10 times better Prates, and my fellow self-aware accidental bank robber, Danielle, 40 and still wearing sweatshirts, Riondo. Hi, Danielle. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. And I'm 32 and still wearing sweatshirts. So there's that. <laughs> well, I haven't quite turned 40. I'm turning 38 <laughs> in like two weeks. And that's close enough. I felt like that was close enough, though. Like, yeah, yeah, it was close enough. <laughs> I've actually recently embraced sweatpants while leaving the the house, and it's been yeah, it's been a liberating experience. I gotta yeah. say, I feel like there's no turning back from this moment. <laughs> uh, speaking of sweatpants and sweatshirts, <laughs> we're kind of talking about the equivalent, the movie equivalent of those items of clothing this week. <laughs> this month, we are celebrating Jean-Claude Van January. That's January for short, with a celebration of films featuring the muscles from Brussels, one Jean-Claude Van Damme himself. We have a selection of Jean-Claude Van Delights for you, a combination of his formative work, a couple of lesser-known treasures, a well-curated assortment of butt shots, and a wrap-up that we think you, our discerning and sophisticated listener, will enjoy. So smile, do a half-wink, and prepare your full splits for January. And this week, we're traveling to a not-so-fictional Brussels to contemplate our way through what Slate described as a dizzying metamese and what I describe as evidence number 194 in the case where Y. Van Damme is an incredible and well-rounded actor and should be treated accordingly. 2008's JCVD. We have an actor here whose films no responsible parent would ever expose their children to. Go, go, I lost my daughter. You're gonna get over that. The check you made bounced. I'll get the money, okay? Tell the producers I need someone up front. Listen, John Claude, they took somebody else. Who? Steven. Steven Seagal. He promised to cut off his ponytail. <sighs> Jean-Claude Van Damme. Monsieur Van Damme. Yeah. Petite photo là. Bonjour. Jean-Claude Van Damme is robbing the bank. Possible hostage situation. Monsieur Van Damme. Allô. Jean-Claude. I want six million dollars. Million, okay. who are not familiar with the existential sepia jungle that proved once and for all that people who don't like Van Damme movies are just stupid, here's a quick rundown. <laughs> Described by the New York Times as a jokey Hall of Mirrors movie with a melancholic streak, JCVD is the jcvd 
of all JCVD movies in the sense that it's not a vehicle for some fictional morally righteous fighter of ambiguous nationality with a last name that ends on an X, but rather a vehicle for the non-fictional Jean-Claude Van Damme, or rather Jean-Claude Camille François von Warenburg himself as he deals with custody struggles, financial problems, and a professional situation so dire that Steven Seagal is stealing his parts, Van Damme finds himself caught up in an ongoing bank robbery. Shit happens, sepia hijinks ensues, and the police ends up thinking that Van Damme is not a victim, but rather a perpetrator of the crime in question, despite the fact that he's just trying to help the hostages and bond with the bad guys who are less bad than the baddest guy. What better occasion than a hostage crisis to dive into your own existential self-questioning, though? And that is just what Van Damme does in this tongue-in-cheek piece that will make you laugh, cry, and maybe think about staging your own bank robbery so you get to hang out with Van Damme for a little bit. Okay, so now that we've established all that, <laughs> we're going to start with the first segment of our show, the segment that is spoiler-free, in which we talk not necessarily about the movie itself, but about our relationship with it and our history with it. And as usual, we'll start with uh, the co-host. We'll start with Danielle. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with JCVD. Now, much like many of the films that we've watched in this beautiful, gorgeous, incredible, semi- Experimental Jean-Claude Van January. This is my first time with JCVD. I watched it last night. Uh, well, partially I watched it yesterday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then I finished it up last night. Uh, and I was enjoying it so much that I even had a cheat night. Now I, you know, I I eat, I eat like a like an athlete. Uh, mm -hmm. and I also have cheat nights because, you know, treat yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I'm also not. I'm not training for anything very specific right now. So like a couple of cheat nights a week, totally fine. And, uh, you know, I was, again, for me to say I was having such a good time with a movie that it like deserved its own cheat night, <laughs> that's big. That's some big, that is, I think I may have done it with sudden death too, actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> so like, that's Jean, your equivalent of like lighting a cigarette. <laughs> honestly, it really is. Like Jean-Claude, like both, inspires me as a martial artist and also mm -hmm. inspires me to do a cheat night. So like both sides, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like both sides of this are beautiful for me. Um, but what yeah, was the cheat I, food though? Was it French fries? Oh, it was, Belgian uh, waffles. It, was it was delicious, like frozen yogurt with peanut butter and also a whole bunch of like peanut butter cups crushed in. That's like mm. a good cheat night food for me. Like that's like a real nice, like, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's delicious. Okay. Yeah. It's a delicious treat. Um, <laughs> the muscles from Brussels inspired me yet again. What a delight of a film, but also that melancholic streak. That's real. This is like a wildly heartfelt independent film that has some, you know, color correction stuff going on for sure. Like there's, there's yeah. that, that's, that's a factor here, but really my first time watching it, of course I was like a little confused at first because, you know, the movie doesn't show its hand right away. The movie yeah. lets you kind of stew in it a little bit, uh, whether or not, you know, Jean-Claude, uh, playing Jean-Claude, but the Jean-Claude mm -hmm. of the film is so desperate that he will do something wild, uh, you know, kind of thing. Like, it's like, oh my God, is Jean-Claude the hero here? Is he the villain? Who could say? Because this is a very meta film. But yeah, I was in it. I was in it to win it. I enjoyed it. I think it's really, really, really well made and yeah. extremely well acted. And Fernanda, I'm just going to say, like, you hinted at this a little bit, mm -hmm. and you've hinted at this multiple times throughout this month. Jean-Claude can act. My man can act. He I'm really can. Saying. He really can act. And, like, if you don't <laughs> think so, you should maybe watch this movie. Like, I'm not saying this to you because you know. I'm saying, like, to the listeners. If you don't <laughs> think Mr. Van Damme can do an acting, he can do an acting, okay? I rest my case. And that Thank is you. my uh, setting the scene segment. <laughs> Thank you. That's my moment of vindication, honestly. Like, I just, I've been <laughs> steering us to this conclusion. And I'm <laughs> glad we finally got to it. Uh, but actually, I had only seen JCVD myself once, right after it came out, allegedly in a less than legal download. 
<laughs> and the image was shit. And with the filter already, like the visibility is not the best. And we'll get into the, I, I think it's called sepia, right? In English. I don't know. Yeah, we'll say sepia yeah. in Portuguese, but that, that, that filter that's kind of become synonymous with like tacky shit. It's like the comic sense of like visual filters, but I don't know if it made sense then we'll get to it. We'll talk about that. But, uh, I just remember like the visibility wasn't great. I just remember like, I realized it was a good movie, but I wasn't fully invested in it. And I, and I never wanted to revisit it. And I think I put a lot of thought into the why. And I think it's because like, I have a tendency to obsess over the things I like and really dig deep. Mm. Like I see a movie with a person I like, I, 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 I get interested in a div. I want to read biographies. I want to read about their lives. And with Van Damme, I never wanted to. And I think I was kind of really protecting myself because <laughs> I'm always like afraid I'm going to find shitty stuff. And <laughs> I know that's extremely hypocritical of me because I'm always like, we need to examine everything all the time because we can't keep glorifying white dudes just because they're, they do shit that we like. Uh, but I have hypocritically done that with Van Damme for several years now, I've noticed, because I enjoy the movie so much that I've always like kind of given myself the treats of not thinking too much about anything else or <laughs> Van Damme the person. And, and I think the movie was part of it. I knew it was kind of like self, like kind of autobiographical, even though not really. And I kind of like wanted to stay away from that. I wanted to like just watch the cheesier stuff. Uh, sure. Nonetheless, we watched it last night. Uh, I watched it last night again for, for the show. And I love it. I think it's really fucking cool. And we'll get into the whys of that um, as we move forward with the show. But yeah, that's that's my history with it. It's a, it's a complicated history. But I want to unpack it all. And no yeah. better person to unpack it with than you, Danielle. Yeah. My co-host and my partner in this Van Damme incursion. This oh, dive into yeah. the Van Damme-verse that we have <sighs> this journey <laughs> with Dan. I have oh. another stripe on my blue belt. Like, I'm at four stripes yeah. now. We started... <laughs> The month at like, I was a brand new blue belt in the Van Damology. Yeah. And of course you've been a black belt. You've been my professor the whole time, a black belt. And now I, I feel like I've earned my fourth stripe. You have. And I'm so excited. I'm so you excited. You have. I am like right now putting the stripe on your belt <laughs> symbolically. <laughs> Thank you. Um, It's a beautiful moment, but I feel it like, a lot. I feel like we're going to do like a uh, January two eventually. And then oh, you can graduate course. to black belt. But oh so God. far, yeah. <laughs> I should be uh, so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like you've been, that's the thing. And that's the focus of my teaching. Uh, you don't have to get perfect grades. You don't have to, you know, necessarily memorize all the details. You just have to capture the feeling of what I'm trying to teach. And you sure did that this month. Oh, thank so. you. Thank you. So you do graduate. Uh, so. <laughs> now that we've set the scene, a brief warning before we dive deep into our inner selves and fail to ascribe meaning to our mostly pointless existences while saving several hostages from a bad guy with Lord Fartgord hair, we're about to enter the part of this episode where we discuss details of the film, including specific aspects of the plot and the characters, otherwise known as spoilers. So beware unenlightened listeners as we enter our second section which we call stripping it down There's so much to get to, but since I've already mentioned it, I kind of wanted to get your opinion of it because the visual aspect of the movie is very specific. It's a very deliberate choice, a choice that I can understand and that I think maybe made a lot of sense then, especially because like you said, it is, it does give it like an experimental movie vibe, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I think I caught myself kind of getting distracted and drifting. And I think some of it had to do 
with sort of the visual sameness which could be more of a me thing because I'm easily distracted. <laughs> but I wanted to hear from you. What did you think about the movie visually? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's both the sort of sepia tone mm-hmm. uh, of the movie. And it's not like all the way sepia, but it, it's like a, I don't know, like a 50% sepia. I'm sure Paul, our producer, will also probably have thoughts about this um, as well, about like the actual color choices and like color processing of the film itself. But it's yeah. also like certain other visual flair uh, things are happening. There's a lot of long shots and long mm-hmm. takes and moving the camera slowly through scenes. Like the whole beginning sequence is actually really cool. It's like this wild action movie long shot of Jean-Claude mm-hmm. playing another, or Jean-Claude is playing Jean-Claude in the whole movie. And then yeah. there's a third layer because that's also playing some action movie character in a, you know, a long shot, a long take. It It does feel very of the time. Like, this is a Mm -hmm. 2008 movie, so it's like, oh, this is a very, like, um, you know, oh, this is is very cool. I forget if it's in Quantum of Solace or maybe it's actually in the next James Bond movie that had that very long shot at the beginning through the sort of, I think it was like a Day of the Dead parade. Uh, So, again, this might be, like, that might be the movie that came after Quantum of Solace. That was 2008, so we might be thinking 2011. I might be thinking the wrong year, but very, like artsy action movie stuff mm-hmm. was happening. I, I'm, I'm like using a lot of shorthand here, basically. But those long shots, those long takes, the sort of like Motown soundtrack that we're using for a lot of mm-hmm. things. Like there's a lot of like very deliberate flair here that I think could be distracting if you're not like very into the vibe of like, this is a semi-artsy, semi-indie, you know, action movie you know, action thriller with heist elements and and things like that. So it does feel very of the time. It does feel very, very, like, affected. It does feel, like, maybe even a little over the top uh, to some extent. Uh, So, like, that was my feeling on it. That, like, I see what you're doing here. I do think it's, like, a little little much. But also, Mm -hmm. like, I can appreciate it as well. Like, this is, you know, we're a few years removed at this point. So I can kind of see it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to like sort of place yourself in the moment the thing happened without the kind of like lens of seeing things enough that they have become a bit tired. Yeah, so, yeah. And 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 it's interesting. We talked a lot about the opening sequences this month. Yes. And I will maintain that that's like such a strong point of India movies because I, as I mentioned, I'm a sucker for a scene. And of course, that's kind of like the function of an opening sequence is in any movie right it's to get you in it but i feel like again they really excel with it here because you have this amazing action shot which is kind of like you recognize obviously van damme immediately and that's his calling card for every movie and it's this longest sequence and then by the end of it he's talking to the director I'm like, I can't, like, this unbroken thing, I can't do it anymore. Like, I'm too old for it. I'm 48. (laughs) And you really understand all of it. And at the same time, you have that hilarious dialogue between uh, the director, when the director is talking to the translator. And they're talking about how if it wasn't for, no, that was later, though, if it wasn't for Van Damme. No, there's uh, two. There, there's John, actually two references, I think. To John Woo, yeah. John Woo. Like, there's one right here in the beginning and then again later on. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's here as well. Yeah, they talk a little bit about that. And, and I just think that it's just such a perfect little way to introduce us. We get what we sort of came for, which is like, yeah. <laughs> when you tune into a Van Damme movie, you want to see Van Damme-ness. But then you immediately understand that's really not where you're going to get. Um, or not strictly where you're going to get. And I'm yeah. just a really big sucker for it. And I think that leads us right into another point that I think we need to discuss, which is the obvious thing that is the entire concept of the movie. As we were talking yeah. about, it's kind of like an autobiographical, not kind of fictional, but obviously very inspired on Jean-Claude Van Damme himself. And I just like... I am so in awe of how cool that is. It's not that it's necessarily entirely new. <laughs> it's not that it hadn't been done before, but or that this is a perfect movie necessarily. Uh, but I just think it's it was just such a good choice for a guy like Van Damme, for a guy who had been sort of mocked for all those years, who I personally think had been in on the joke 
if not from the very start, from like very sure. early on, but that a movie that really just gave them the chance to really show the world like, no, I understand what I am. Uh, I understand it very clearly. It's just like such a, I don't know, I think it's just an interesting, such a cool concept, obviously, and just such an interesting way that they conducted it and the way that it was written. And I think the way that Van Damme really bought into it, like I'm actually really curious as to how an actor would feel reading something like that and, and, you know, deciding to trust the director with that kind of stuff. And in a bit, I'm going to read uh, something I read on a Vulture interview, but I don't know. I just kind of really, really liked all of it. And I think for like a lot of Van Damme fans probably felt very vindicated and people who weren't Van Damme fans. And I know that's because I've read a lot of reviews that were just like basically very surprised that Van Damme actually could act. So I don't know. I just yeah. think that despite it not being perfect, it was a really, um, really cool idea. And I think it was executed with just a very accurate mix of like humor and seriousness and earnestness and like cheesiness in a way that it worked. I don't know how you feel about like, if, if you actually, if you're with me there, that it was like a good vehicle for, for, for him. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. Like, this is a really well-written movie, actually. Like, there's a lot of fun little twists and turns, and there is that whole aspect. And this was just, like, a perfect time to watch this because we're doing, you know, uh, Van January. And so, therefore, we're in it. We're in all these movies that are referenced in this, mm -hmm. in this you know? Like, we, we just watched Hard Target, which is referenced <laughs> several times in this movie about, oh, you brought, you know, he brought you know, John Woo to America and, and all this, like, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. If it wasn't ways. for Van Damme, John, John Woo would still be shooting pigeons. In right. Then, like, <laughs> line. It's very, very funny. It, it's very, very meta. It's very, very meta textual, which is like a, a thing I can take or leave uh, personally most of the time, but I think it really works here because mm. you're making an action movie about this. You are making an action movie about a guy who makes action movies, about a guy who's making fun of himself who yeah. makes action movies. And there's something very sweet about that. And I think there's a quote somewhere, I, I, I think I've read it in your notes, in fact, about like, he, he comes off really well after having made this movie. And maybe that was the point for him to make this and to kind of show he can make fun of himself to an extent and that he knows who he is and then he knows what his place is in the world to some extent. Uh, and we will absolutely, I think we need to talk about the monologue as well, yeah, uh, uh, for sure. Uh, but that's a huge part of this, right? Of showing not only can he act, not only can he make fun of himself, not only can he poke fun at fame and Hollywood and like a person's place in the world and mm -hmm. make fun of like the things that are less savory about him. Like the, you know, the fact that our, our poor dude, like, I mean, this is, this is a whole other thing, but like. He, he's honest about the fact that he's struggled with addiction. He's honest yeah. about the fact that he's been married many times. Like, he's honest about these things in a way that's like, you're putting on this mask, right, of, of playing yourself or like a version of yourself. But you're also talking about real shit in, in a mm -hmm. lot of ways and, and talking about it in a really, really earnest way. So, yeah, I, I think the structure really works. I think the movie really works. I don't know that I would watch this about almost anyone else right. <laughs> really like honestly like this general setup with Steven Seagal again always referenced like in this movie or with a Chuck Norris or with a whoever else right I'm, I guess I'm just thinking of like you know white guys who are in martial arts movies but <laughs> you know like anybody else really of, of that milieu I wouldn't be interested because yeah. Jean-Claude himself is I think a thousand times more magnetic and interesting and yeah. Again, now he's showing that he has this range for some comedy and some making fun of himself and some, yeah. you know, some other things going on here. So I don't mean to be so long winded. I just think that, yes, this structure does work, even though this type of structure doesn't always work for me. I don't always like the person playing themselves thing. Sometimes I find it a little twee or a little cloying or a little like, oh, OK, <laughs> yeah, great. But for for this and yeah. maybe it's because this man has made such corny movies yeah. that I love. You know, again, that I love. Like, the type of corny that I am here for all day, every day, could probably watch Bloodsport every day of my life and feel good about it, you know? <laughs> so it kind of, it works for me. And I think mm -hmm. it works in general. 
one interesting, I think there was like this, there's a lot of humor in this movie. And like, I feel bad that I don't speak French because I feel right. like the jokes are probably just better. Yeah. <laughs> French. yeah, for sure. <laughs> but even in Portuguese, uh, in Portuguese, in English, I saw with English subtitles. Um, the scene in the court when the lawyer starts like naming a list of <laughs> violence that Van Damme inflicted upon other characters in movies. <laughs> it's just such a priceless little, it's just such, it's just such fun. It's a, yeah. like it seemed like everybody involved in this situation was having fun, and it's a good experience uh, to watch a movie like that. Uh, before we move on, like there was a, I read an interview uh, from Vulture with him, which is very Van Damme, as you would expect. And uh, so the the interviewer who is called Amos, uh, we know this because Van Damme keeps repeating his name. Um, he talks about, he asked how JCVD happened and he talks about like, they, they came to me with a script called King of the Belgium, a comedy. And in the studio, they have lots of offices with names of producers. And one young man walked by and he saw Jean-Claude Van Damme project King of the Belgium. And he said, wait a second, can I read that script? It was director Mabrook, which is the actual director of JCVD. They said, sure, read it. And he came out and said, this is a complete piece of shit. You're going to put him in a piece of shit movie. <laughs> I want to direct this. Basically, the director came across another script involving Van Damme as Van Damme and decided that it fucking sucked. And Van Damme goes on to say, he knew everything about me, everything. And he knows everything about lots of people because he's some crazy guy. He had an idea that was very special and it happened. Uh, he left the country, came back eight days later, and he came back with a script called JCVD. I don't know where he went. He had a broken heart. <laughs> His girlfriend left him. He's a very sensitive guy. <laughs> he didn't want to tell me, but other people told me. But he wrote me a nice piece of story, half real, half fiction. I was completely amazed. So, sorry, oh it's a long God. segment, but I do feel like it kind of explains a lot in a weird... <laughs> it does. It does in so many ways. It, it feels like that. Like, it feels like a very complete thing that, yes, it maybe maybe it came together in a weird way or maybe it came together real fast. But that's OK because of what this is and how this feels and how it, it itself comes together. So that makes all the sense in the world. But yeah. imagine like being a super fan of a person and then you're like, I'm going to write a semi-fictional, semi-non-fictional movie about this person's life. With personal details, right. and or, right, like, and this person right. is this huge ass star who also, at the same time, is very publicly troubled in many ways. How do you like gather the guts to deliver the script to this person? I can't imagine. Right. And, and it got made. <laughs> like it's a movie that you can watch in real life. It's just i i could never i just like reason number a thousand why i will never uh be a wildly successful individual like i have i have too many hang-ups to just write a thing about someone i love and be like please play this very exaggerated version of you based on information that uh i just gathered from the public it's amazing paul is joking right jcvd too uh, Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? What do I got to lose? <laughs> I believe in you. Um, one thing you did mention that I uh, want to get into, uh, starting with you, you did mention the monologue. And it's, I think the two parts of the movie that people talk the most about are sort of the opening sequence and this monologue, which is basically just Van Damme talking to the camera, a bunch of stuff that only half makes sense, but it does make sense because he's delivering in such a way that you're just like, whatever, I believe it. I, don't, I can't remember a word of it, but I know that I almost cried and <laughs> I believed every word of it. <laughs> so I wanted to hear from you. What do you, what did you, how do you feel about the monologue? Uh, I, this monologue is, I feel like this monologue could be used for study. Like you could do an entire class. You do it, a full-ass college class on this monologue. Like, he goes, first of all, we've got the fourth wall breaking. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that 
your fourth wall breaking with levitation. So we're, we're doing the movie, we're doing the movie, and, you know, we have the whole sort of the setup and the setup of, of like, Jean-Claude's going through some shit, and then all of a sudden it looks like he might be robbing a post office slash bank, which, again, not clear. I'm sure that's a thing in Brussels. <laughs> they keep saying post office at times and bank at times, and he's going there for money, so it's like, okay, it's a bank, and they're robbing it, so the bank, whatever. And we're going through, and we're going through, and then we, we of course, switch to his perspective, and we see that, yeah, no, he's kind of a victim in this. All he wanted was to get some money, and then, of course, they want to use him. The robbers want to use him for, you know, various things. And then we just, he starts talking to the camera and levitating up to the lights, like, up to this, like, idea of, like, a stage with lights, right? Like, a theatrical stage, not just, like, a, a film stage, but, like, a theatrical stage with lights, and he talks about his five marriages. He talks about loving drugs and like having a hard time with drugs and, and going to rehab. He talks about, and there's a portion of this monologue that like hit me in the chest, like a Van Damme high kick. Well, a high kick from him <laughs> is higher than my head. He's taller than me and he can kick people's heads. So like, all right, let's talk, let's call it like a low kick for him, right? Like him kicking me in the chest, whatever that would be. <laughs> <laughs> a mid-level kick. A mid. He's actually kick. not that tall. Either, he's not. He's five ten. I'm just. I'm just fairly short. I'm I, five four and three quarters. I round up to five five. Thank you very much. But he's he's five inches taller than me. So. I doubt that he's five ten. Oh yeah, he's I'm, probably like he's probably five yeah. seven, and he says he's five ten. I was yeah. gonna say. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and guess. Is like I'm five seven and something, yeah. like almost five eight. I'm gonna go yeah. ahead and guess that Van Damme is shorter than me. Allegedly. Yeah, that's what he is. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what he is. Right? He fought, oh, yeah. so he must have actually been measured for real at some point. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> he had to make weight for fights at one point in life, and I'm sure somebody was like, oh, at 5'8", he's whatever. Uh, whatever. Yeah, stay tuned I, for JCVD2, where we uncover that and other truths. Uh, and we'll have to figure out exactly how tall he is. Whatever, we're good. <laughs> um. Taller than me, regardless, but yeah, maybe not by that much. He has a line here about feeling like, why do I have so much? Other people have nothing. I'm just a regular guy. Mm -hmm. And talking about how much that hurts him. And he talks about never doing enough. And like, for me, and my particular shit that's wrong with my brain, uh, that like hit me so hard. It hit me so, so, so hard. And I And it got me to thinking like, it's so bad for me that I have multiple jobs and I do a volunteer thing that's wild and I do all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, it's never enough. It will never be enough. I will never contribute enough for how fucked up the world is, like ever. I'm a very privileged person living my life in a very privileged way and I can never do enough. How much a person who has that feeling yeah. must feel that when you're actually rich and famous? <laughs> like how, how much... That must actually hurt if this is real. And, like, of course, you don't know if it's real. Like, no one other than Van Damme himself could say whether this was, like, actually a speech from the heart that actually made sense to him or if he is playing up the role. Maybe he doesn't even know. That's the other level of this. Like, we all tell ourselves lies to some extent to live our lives, too. Maybe this is some of that as well. That's how many layers deep this is, right? Yeah. Again, legitimately deep. I'm not, like making the like funny like <laughs> this the you know the uh, the layers of the onion here it's like no this is actually a legitimately very deep and interesting speech framed the way that it is and you know sort of executed the way that it is but it hit me real hard like it really genuinely hit me hard and he's crying and he's giving it his all so he's both acting and maybe not acting and it's a lot and then he just kind of descends back into the role and back into the movie and it's just mm -hmm. this like break and it is, it's fascinating and it's wild and it's heartfelt. And I've talked about it enough. Renata, how do you feel about this monologue? Because it really clearly impacted me. No, I mean, I'm looking at my notes from yesterday and I don't even know what I was saying because I just think I went on a trance after the monologue <laughs> and just started like <laughs> writing shit because I was like... <laughs> I was sleepy and tired and I was just taking somewhere uh, with the monologue. And I'll get to my opinion uh, of it in a second. But uh, I wanted to read a little bit from that same Vulture interview regarding the monologue, which will not explain anything. 
but also <laughs> everything. Okay. <laughs> like the rest of this movie. Uh, right. The interviewer asks, everyone's talking about this direct-to-camera monologue you have in the film. I understand it was inspired by your actual conversations with the director. And he says, yes, it's difficult to have those emotions if it's not coming from you. Because no matter what you say in life, the truth will always be the truth. You know when someone is telling me the truth, you look in the eyes. I have a tendency to believe people. Very much so. This is my movie. This is my movie, sir. So if I say something from the top, I'm the top. I don't know what that even well. means. <laughs> Without mentioning the egotistic feeling, okay? And then he just goes on a tangent and his publicist tells him it's the last question. And then like Venom apologizes and says that oh. she's going to get ra- grounded by the company because that's her job. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I really feel like I need to interview Vindem before I die. Uh but yeah, so that 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 explains something, I guess. Sure. <laughs> A little bit. Uh but I personally like the part where you said where you talked about him like feeling like he wasn't wasn't doing enough and I and something that I find both like heartwarming and heartbreaking I think this is such a common thread in everything. Like I consume a lot of content around celebrities and, you know, art yeah. su- successful artists. And I feel like that's everybody, no matter how much you achieve and no matter how much you do and how good you are at whatever, you don't feel like you've done enough. And like, you're just talking about, you know, how much you do and you volunteer and you do all these things to, to try to like, placate that feeling and it still doesn't work Mm and i also have that feeling even though i do nothing about it because i'm just a worse person than you are objectively no you're not (laughs) no i reject that uh, statement i reject it (laughs) i adopted a grownish dog to assuage that's beautiful uh, my privilege guilt do you know that you saved two lives there, Fernanda? You saved that doggy's life, and then that made another place in the shelter for another doggy. So thank you. See, thank you. Uh, my white guilt is like 10% <laughs> assuaged right now. But yeah, so I and, and watching that monologue, it took me back. Like my mind went places because I recently just watched um, Spencer, the oh, Princess yes. Diana movie, which is amazing. Uh but it also, like, to me, kept bringing back this idea that we have, like, we glorify fame and we glorify visibility and we equate all these things with, with success, which is in itself a very weird concept that I don't think any of us can really quantify because I don't know how many successful people really consider themselves successful, but... And to me, like the whole thing in, with celebrity culture and everything we've seen and all the movies and all the documentaries and all the podcasts and everything we know about being a celebrity. Because if you think about it, like Van Damme was in the mid 90s, one of the most well-known people in the world. Yeah, I, I'm just going to go ahead and guess because we're talking about I, I grew up in Brazil and we have my husband who grew up in Mexico and we have you and our guests from last week who grew up in the States. And we all kind of like had the same like sort of joint experience about Van Damme. So, yeah, it's like imagine you were one of the most well-known people in the world and you made all of this money and like you did all those things that you set out to do and you still struggle with drugs and you struggle with your mental health and, you know, you 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 stumble in life several times and you feel miserable and you feel lonely and it's kind of like I don't know I don't even know where I'm getting at but like I just when I see this, these you. moments like in this and yeah. in, in, in this way I think it was just so so well executed and his delivery was really what made the monologue like it's just kind of like what do we do all that for right. like we're all just right just we're all just like fucking miserable either way. (laughs) Why are we glorifying royalty in the case of Diana? Right. And, and despite us at this point, knowing what a fucking miserable life she had, uh, before she died so young, when she was finally starting to enjoy her life and we still glorify princesses and in this totally different end of the spectrum, a, a, a huge ass successful celebrity like Van Damme. And, you know, we have these, fantasies of fame and celebrity that refuse to die despite 
how much we know about it. And I think there is an obvious factor behind it that is the factor of money, obviously, the way that our yeah. society works. We have we rely on money and access and knowing how difficult life is without those things, it's easy to kind of like uh, envy those who have it, uh, even though we both also, we also know how much those same celebrities end up running into financial ruin of their own, regardless of how much money they make. So it's hard not to be envious, but I don't know. I still like at times like these. And, and when you think about those, those things, I kind of really reflect on this disconnect that we have when it comes to sort of idolizing things that we have seen over and over as self-destructing and inevitably difficult to navigate. I just ran with this yeah. really far. Yeah. No, this, it's perfect because it's like, I mean, to me as an American, that, that sounds to me like, oh, it's just a sort of indictment of the American dream that like, oh yeah, no, everybody can do this. And it's like, everybody can do what? First of all, not everybody can do this. Yeah. It's false. <laughs> For it's starters. <laughs> For, it, like, first of all, it's bullshit. Second of all, it, it, like fame, at least that portion of it, obviously I know the American dream is more like, oh, success, but it, fame is tied into it and yeah. half of the things that you can possibly do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some sort of fame or clout is tied into that. That's all kinds of success now in media. It's all kinds of success in anything, arts or entertainment. It's all kinds of success in many, many, many ways. And even in, in hard sciences, you probably need some sort of clout to necessarily get funding for things. So even in, you know, areas of life that yeah. wouldn't sound like, oh, you need some sort of fame or some sort mm -hmm. of platform, you still do. A lot yes. of this bullshit carries over. Like it, a lot of it is maybe human psychology and the loudest person gets what they need and, and things like that. But a lot of this, I think, is just tied into this. I mean, maybe I'm going out on a limb here and correct me if I'm wrong. But this idea of, of fame does seem very like tied into a need for attention and tied into a yeah. need for expression. And yeah. some people maybe seek that more than others do, right? But it's so miserable. It's so yeah. unbelievably miserable. And I think we all know that. And yet still we do all of this, right? Yes. I, I don't think there's a soul who's over the age of like, you know, 12 that thinks being famous would be the best thing ever. Like, you can't take a shit. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you can. All right, I'm sure you, you can take a shit. But, like, basically not. Like, anything you do will be fodder for being made fun of forever. And these are already fragile people who, who you know, at, to some extent, especially with something like actors and potentially musicians, might yeah. be the type of person who does crave more attention anyway. So it, like, becomes an addiction yeah. for that type of person, right? Yeah, imagine, right? Imagine the high. The high right? of being praised, of being in the public eye, of being recognized. And it's essentially unsustainable. How many huge yeah. celebrities have we heard of who just had like a sustainable upward trajectory? Right. Like, I don't know. I think like Madonna is probably the closest thing. we that have. Was the, like that was the first person. Yeah, that came to mind <laughs> <Really>? too. <laughs> yep. Like a durable sort of pop icon who just, you know, has been sustainably successful as far as I know right. and you know and I agree with you it's very and it's it's kind of like I would imagine it's kind of like I hate comparing things to drugs but a drug in itself where yeah you just really I mean crave, for sure right like you, you have to yeah. crave the highs and yep. I don't to me it's just very I've I've been thinking about this more and more and sort of how like yeah. fame is such a big part of Like even now, right? We think about mm -hmm. what everybody jokes is like the easiest job in the world, being an influencer, right? Like it's the new thing. You're an influ influencer. You just, and what does that mean? Your visibility is profitable. Mm -hmm. You're visible because you're visible and you make money and you're able to move things. Like it's profitable to be visible. Right. And we all, all the time see these influencers and these highly visible people talking about all the costs of their visibility and how they're selling an image that in no way corresponds to their reality. And we know this in a conscious level, but subconsciously yeah. we envy them. Subconsciously we want to be them. And we judge them. We judge famous people when they are going through something publicly because they're like, you're rich and famous. How hard can your life be? How difficult? Just throw money at your problems. 
And I don't know, this is at the same time such a cliche conversation, but also not a conversation that I feel we have like honestly enough because otherwise we wouldn't be worshiping at the altar of fame like we do. Absolutely. And, uh, and this, and this happens with fighters every, mm-hmm. all the time. Like this is, you know, something that, that, you know, you've written about so many times and I'm, I'm interested in it to some extent, like this maybe even more so with, with boxing because there's so much more money in boxing, but mm-hmm. like it's unsustainable, right. To be the best at something, even, even athletically or even, yeah. you know, just, just sort of staying at the, at the top of anything is unbelievably hard And it's even more fickle with fame because it's not even just that like a skill is involved. There's so many Mm -hmm. factors that are completely out of your control. Like it's just what's popular, what sells, what happens to hit a trend, what is being marketed. Do you look the right way? You know, like, are you hot in a very traditional way? Like, oh, okay. Then maybe you have a chance and maybe not. It's, It's so many wild factors that are completely out of control and that are, genuinely part of systemic problems, right? They're yeah. part of systemic problems with capitalism and with heteronormativity and with, you know, body image and the way in which a person is, quote, you know, giant scary air quotes, supposed to look or how your body's supposed to look. All of this shit ties into yeah. it as well. And all of those things become issues for people who are in the public spotlight. Like, mm-hmm. the ways in which Britney Spears was talked about, like, now, obviously the conversation has come around a little bit to some extent, thank God about like, you know, her autonomy and things like that, which is, you know, much better. I think But like, if you think about the way in which she was like sacrificed on a goddamn altar of Mm -hmm. like paparazzi stuff when she was younger, like when she was a very, very young woman, like the the things that happened, it's like, it's actually so upsetting. It's Mm -hmm. like so unbelievably upsetting that it was like, you expect this like teenage girl or very young woman to like, be able to carry this kind of pressure when people make fun of every possible aspect of everything. Um, and I know we're not talking about Britney Spears in this movie. It's just, it's like, she's just one of the first people who came to mind when I'm, I'm thinking about like, truly it is. Heinous. Yeah, she's a very like, uh, yeah. I think a topic, like a very topical example of like the yeah. abuses of, of fame. Yeah. And I, yeah. and you think about a guy like Van Damme, right? Like he, his whole fame was based on his physicality. He had yes. this highly physical role and on his looks as well, because he was seen as a guy who could appeal to both men and women because he was yeah. obviously extremely good looking and uh, also very physically gifted. And that's another yeah. interesting thing about the beginning of the movie where he's like, I'm 48. I can't do that shit anymore. Like yeah. how existentially challenging it must be to be an aging actor. an aging action star not just an actor right like an aging person whose body will inevitably uh fail on them and that's kind of the nature of everything but i think it's got like this beautiful sort of interesting um poetry here when he reflects on that and then when you go to his personal life um I, like I said, I hadn't even looked that much into it. I knew about how he had had several wives, married uh, one of his uh, wives twice, had a couple of kids, but um, I knew he had cheated on a wife because I remember him mentioning something about having a thing with Kylie Minogue. During right, Street the Kylie Fighter. Minogue. Yep, 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 yep. And he, like, that was dug up. Years later, like he mentioned it and the wife, the wife at the time said that she was very hurt because she was pregnant with his child when that happened. And I'm like, that that seems fair. Seems Uh, fair to be a little upset about that. Yeah, I get that, you know, but (laughs) I, I, and and that's the thing. And what I was talking a a little bit about early on and I wanted to be disappointed, right? As I started looking into into him and into these stories, like in one of her divorce filings, I couldn't find a lot of sources. So I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Like apparently they broke up and got together a few times, got back together a few times. There was like mm-hmm. allegations of abuse. Oh, um, I see. I see. Yeah. Allegations. And again, I didn't really find many sources. I found one thing that didn't really link to anything. So, so I don't know for sure, but like I started digging up those things. I'm like, no, I shouldn't have watched JCB. <laughs> <laughs> I had one thing, and that was Van Damme. <laughs> Let me have it. Oh, you can never meet your heroes. You can never, never meet your heroes, Fernanda. Oh. Uh, 
But even like, despite all that, like we could, I can surmise from all the happenings of his public life that he wasn't the best husband. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, that there were problematic uh, aspects of his of his personal life. And he's also like contending with that in the movie. So I can only imagine when you you're aging and like the appeal that you used to have for many reasons is no longer there. And you have to sort of inevitably look at yourself in the mirror and like, kind of like reflect on who you are as a person. And, yeah. you know, we're talking about Van Damme, who's Van Varenberg, who is this fictional Van Damme in the movie and it all melts <laughs> together. It's just, I don't know, very interesting. And I think the monologue was really what brought it all together. Yeah, no, I completely agree. This movie is genuinely very deep. Again, it's very stylish. Yeah. It's also very, very, very deep. And there's a lot going on and some of it's not pretty. And like, maybe it shouldn't be because no one's life is pretty. <laughs> Except you know? for maybe Madonna. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sure she's got some shit. I am sure Madonna's done some shit yeah, at some I point. Don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I I'm know it. Uh, well, there was the Kabbalah thing. Wasn't that like cultish shit? I don't even know. Uh, sorry to offend right? people. There's no uh, way she hasn't done something <laughs> fucked up. I don't know what it is, but there's no way she hasn't. I mean, look, I've done things that are fucked up. <laughs> like, all done things that are fucked up. And that's another part. a rich person... Exactly. <laughs> That's another perk of not being famous. Your fucked exactly. up things are not out there for the entire world to see. Exactly. Exactly. They're yours. Like, I've made Why some stupid ass mistakes. Famous? Yeah. <laughs> I made some stupid ass mistakes that I'm glad are not front page news. Like, real glad about that, you know? But moral of the story, uh, be average. <laughs> <laughs> Kids. <laughs> I've it's said it before and I'll say it again. Don't aspire to things. Why try to be great? Just like be normal. Just, just be normal. Well, there's also the like funny quote about, and I don't even remember exactly what it is or what it's from, but like the, like the idea of like, what if you're like the basis from Coldplay or something where it's like, you're not like necessarily, it's not necessarily that like people will recognize you everywhere. So you can like, be pretty rich and famous and enjoy all the like the fruits of that, but you can still probably go to the grocery store. That's the, you know? the goal. But that's like, that's probably so like be, a shaky, shaky grounds to be on. I don't be know. Be really good at something, <laughs> but don't be the like face of it. You know what I mean? Like, like go ahead. Be in that band that's very famous, but like be, you know, I don't know, be like But be know, the bassist. Be okay, the bassist. Sorry, ba dude. Unless you're yeah. Pete Wentz, wasn't he the bassist? Okay, where'd I go? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We yeah. digress a lot. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> I'd like a brief shout out. Uh, I'm going to touch yes. on an aspect uh, of the movie that I want to talk about with you, but a brief shout out to the bad guy who wasn't that bad of a guy and who was a massive Van Damme fan. I, uh, he was I, so he fun. He was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> he was maybe a little dangerous. My man kept shaking that gun in everybody's face. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> I got very afraid for gun safety a little bit. But otherwise, I mean, that was part of it. That was part of the, the joke, right? That he's just a little like goofy. But but yeah, my guy was a lot of fun. <laughs> and imagine like so you you're a big Van Damme fan. You're in this situation with him. Wouldn't you want to see him do tricks? And yes. kick things. And wouldn't you try to demonstrate a kick of yours with the potential of failing terribly. Uh, yes. Even though I, I do feel bad for sweatshirt guy because that guy got knocked out by a bad kick. <laughs> I do I do feel bad about that poor guy. But yeah, I, I'm with you in, in terms of the spirit of like that that guy was all of us. I he think, was collateral in damage in that situation. Uh, <laughs> in fairness. I mean, hopefully he's okay. Hopefully he's okay. It's not like he, he got shot. I mean, it sucks. Listen, it sucks to get kicked. It hurts a lot. I'm I'm not like trying to play it down. But yeah. <laughs> As someone who <laughs> once all of us. <laughs> who once threw a punch in front of Joan Jones and it was the worst punch I threw in my entire life. Wait. Wait. Oh, it, you can't just you can't just reference that and not give us a little more context. It happened. At the time, uh, should I clarify, Joan Jones, the former UFC light heavyweight champion, was a much less problematic figure uh, sure, than he is sure. now. 
But we, yeah, we were doing like a story thing and it was at a gym and we're all like playing around and like a friend of mine kicked and whatever. And I'd been taking Muay Thai for a few years. I was like, oh, I'm going to demonstrate a punch. And it was such a bad punch, such a bad punch to this day. John Jones thinks I can't punch, which again, now I'm cool with, but yeah, now it's fine. For a few months there, it ate at me a little that that was the punch that I ended up demonstrating. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but one thing (laughs) since we're talking about five related aspects that i wanted to touch on uh before we move on you did finally get to see some jujitsu danielle you were vindicated i I was so happy and this like made it to my notes and this doesn't need to be a big thing i promise i'm not going to go deep into this or anything but my man finally learned some jujitsu he had a takedown and i almost good back take and like truly <laughs> in my heart of hearts listen i know the plot had to have david carradine looking bad guy sur- you know not survive but like be a, a threat for longer yeah sean claude van damme if he can get a takedown if he can get anywhere near close to somebody's back i believe he could do a nice little rear naked choke on that man i saw him going <laughs> for a body triangle he was moving the leg in the right way like he's doing the thing he was doing jujitsu it's only like I don't know, five seconds of this movie. But after Bloodsport and being like, he's so good at stand-up, but like, what does he even know what grappling is? This was just like a beautiful moment for me. It was vindicating. I was very happy about it. I still think he would have absolutely had that guy in like a second. Just his musculature, his clear knowledge of jiu-jitsu versus that guy's. But I know the the bad guy had to keep being a threat, so he had to get out somehow. But still, still, I I was appreciative (laughs) of a nice little back take and uh, halfway ruin right here joke. Yeah. He wasn't in my story. JCVD wasn't in my story about uh, Van Damme's leading man as mixed martial artists, but this right, would have right. been good. I, I, I think the combo between old men, old men, parenthesis, old action men strength, yes. because 48 for an action star is, is older than yes. for us regular folk. Um, sure. With the little jujitsu, I feel like that would have carried him through like a, a Randy Couture type of narrative. Oh, absolutely. This was <laughs> a, like, this was like a genuinely realistic scenario for a takedown. Like I've yeah. been in not that exact scenario, but I've been in scenarios in being an EMT where you, I've had to take down a patient and like, it's real. It actually works. It's pretty cool. So I, I liked it. I liked seeing that. I'm just going to go ahead and suggest that you wear like a little GoPro in your next like outing and you make that a documentary (laughs) instead of JCVD. Next time that happens, you know, it's not very often. DMT, but I'm just saying, (laughs) just having another million dollar idea here. No big deal. Thank you. You're welcome listeners for all of our brilliant advice. Okay. We're going to move on, but final shout out to something that you put on your notes that I agree Jean-Claude Van Damme's prison look. Because, spoiler, he does get <laughs> to go to prison. Because when he's, well, he's negotiating with the guys and he ends up uh, asking to make it more sound more believable, he ends up asking for some money to be deposited to his uh, lawyers and he gets goes to jail for extortion. And he's seen in prison with a rugged look and uh, teaching kickboxing yeah. to other inmates. And yeah. it's a very cute scene. And the look reminded him, uh, me of him in an actual prison movie called In Hell, which we didn't talk about oh, this wow. one. wow. But you should watch because it's really good. It's really fucking dark, honestly. Like, it's a depressing, yeah. depressing little piece, but you should all watch. It. But yeah, so the shout out to Jean-Claude's prison look. We have yeah. to admire good fashion choices here. It's a good look. It's a good look on him, honestly. Good look. Good look. Yeah. So I guess that, wraps up the discussion segment of our show. I feel like we've exposed our arguments. We talked at length about all the ways in which this movie succeeded and failed. So here we step into the final segment of our show called Shelf Life. discuss whether we believe that the movie in question deserves to be put in our esteemed staff pick shelf if it goes to the middle aisle or if it goes straight to the dumpster 
<laughs> so I moment of truth, Danielle. Yeah. Want to hear from you? Yeah. Where do you think this movie should go? So I I really enjoyed it. I think it's very good. I think there are some things in it that are like transcendent, like that monologue. Mm-hmm. I personally think this is a high middle aisle pick. I, I it's not quite doing for me, you know, the like sheer joy of sudden mm-hmm. death or the like sheer texture of mm-hmm. blood sport that were like very easy um, staff pick shelf picks for me, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. So my gut says high middle aisle, very respectable. I really like what it's doing. I think it's smart. I think it's clever. It shows that our boy can act for real, real, and also knows jujitsu, which, it, you know, absolutely is a, is a selling point for me. So that's my take. That's my take on it. Yeah. Honestly, if we were talking about it in 2009 and 2010, I might want to put it in the staff picks. Sure, sure. But I think inevitably I look at it now, I can't like just ignore the ways in which it's aged a bit. Sure, sure, sure. So I I, I am going with you there. I okay. also think it just... It just gets a spot in our in our high a high level placement in our staff picks in our middle aisle, which no shame. Yeah, no that's shame. a good place to be. That's the thing. That's a very good place to be. There's other great movies in there. So yeah. And that will wrap up Vendem's month without a single dumpster pick. I, I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all, to be honest. <laughs> Honestly, there are so many movies uh, that we could have <laughs> we could have stumbled <laughs> across uh, one or two uh, dumpster picks. Not gonna lie, if we had discussed sure. the quest, we would find ourselves Ooh. in that position. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I think, uh, but. <laughs> I do. I am happy. I feel like we kind of talked about a, a an interesting variety here. And I'm glad that I ended up uh, being your Shidoshi, your sensei through this journey. <sighs> I'm so time. honored. I love <laughs> that I got my fourth stripe on my blue belt. I'm going to work towards my purple belt for next time. <laughs> next time we, we see Jean-Claude, which we will again. Don't worry. Don't worry, friends. We will see more of Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I'm excited for it. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And I guess that is all for this week. Thank you, my co-host, for joining me. Thank mm-hmm. you all at home for listening. Thank you to our amazing producer, Paul. It's stupid to kill people, Tamayo, for <laughs> all the help in making this show not only not suck, but also kind of roll because it does kind of roll. We hope you come back to our friendly neighborhood video store next week. Just a note, that will be a bonus episode. It's not going to be a new theme like we've been doing at the beginning of each month. And that is because we are debuting our new theme on February 7. And I know you might be wondering, but wait, February 7 is a Monday. That is right. You love to see it will change. Instead of coming out on Thursdays, as uh, you're used to, we will start coming out on Mondays. But again, that doesn't start until the second week of February. And in the meantime, you will get this special, shorter, but also made with a lot of love bonus episode so you won't miss us too much in the meantime if you would like to show us some support you can do so by rating and reviewing our show on apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use it's a new year so maybe slide in there with some new reviews maybe by next week can even read them on the show who knows if your heart so desires spotify also recently introduced a rating feature so if you could take that extra second to rate us on there that would be really awesome too it just goes a long way uh in spreading the word about the show and of course what also helps is telling people about it you know showing it to more people downloading it I don't know, say nice things about us on Twitter or bad things too, whatever. No such thing as bad publicity. Just please, please 
spread the word. Until then, we'd love for you to join our movie club. Come to fanbyte.casa. Join the You Love to See channel for news, updates, discussions, special events. Um, we can find us at fanbyte.com podcast. You can find us on Twitter at fanbyte media. You can find me on Twitter at Nanda, that's N-A-N-D-A-P-R-A-T-S underscore, uh, Nanda Prates, uh, N-A-N-D-A-P-R-A-T-S underscore. Where can people find you on the internet, Danielle? At Danielle R-I on Twitter. Twitter, we're also on TikTok, and of course, on fanbyte.com. So we're everywhere. There's no excuse for not finding us. We will see you all again next week. And in the meantime, You'll love to see it.